0: Hey everyone, this is Priscilla, the host of the Yas NMN podcast episode. If you are not new here, then you already know that this is a different intro than usually. It's because today's episode is a little different than usual. Today's episode is actually a recording from our Compassionate Conversation series. This specific episode is the conversation with Sandra Maria Van Opstal, where we talk about having compassionate conversations with those who have been historically and presently marginalized. This actual series and this session is a part of a series that we have, which is a course on having compassionate conversations on varied topics. We both teach theological understandings of different different perspectives of the topics while also giving practical tips on how to have compassionate conversations with folks in these different areas. It varies from talking with folks in the LGBTQ plus community for those who've been wounded by the church for those who are have different biblical perspective than you those who have different religions perhaps than you and faiths so it really varies across the board we have seven sessions completely and this today's episode is the session where it's just a portion of this of the course it's not the whole entire session but hopefully you can get some insight of it to see if you want are interested in being able to participate in the course it is all pre-recorded so it's not live session so you can Purchase the course whenever you feel so led. So I hope you are blessed and encouraged by this episode. You may hear some things that you don't agree with or that are hard, but I hope that you will lean in and allow God to minister to you through the words that are spoken on this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this session of Compassionate Conversations. In this session, we'll be talking with Sandra Maria Van Obstal, and we're going to be talking about how we have get to have compassionate communication with those who have been part of historically marginalized and oppressed groups. Maybe you're like, who is that? How do I even know how to identify that? So we'll talk through that as well. But let's start with considering why this course is even it. If this is already that uh, you, this is like perhaps one of the few courses that you have enrolled in, in this series, you can skip a few minutes because I'll be kind of introducing the same thing. But this is just an introduction to the course, the purpose and vision behind it, right? And so this is meant to invite us to learn more about ways to communicate with others, In a way that glorifies God, serves others, and makes an internal impact here on earth. And right, our verses to kind of set the foundation for this course is Colossians 4, 6, where it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer with each person to each person, right? So when we consider this, when we think about our speech, our communication, that it should be truth-filled, that does not mean it should be absent of grace. It should not be absent of knowing who. we're speaking to communicating with specifically right you don't talk to your child the way you talk to your spouse you don't talk to your mother the way you talk to your co-worker we speak to people and communicate with people in different ways, based on relationship, based on understanding, based on circumstance, based on so many different things. And then Ephesians 4, 26 tells us, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give good grace. It may give grace to those who hear. And sometimes people use this scripture as a reference to not to gossip and not talk behind people's back. And that applies too. But this especially is inviting us to communicate about that is good for building up as fits the occasion, right? So kind of just what I was saying about not only just the person, but considering the circumstance considering history, considering the um, current state of the world, right? When we're communicating people's, with people, especially with people who um, have been a part of historically marginalized and oppressed groups. And so today we'll be talking with Sandra and she's going to be talking through what does the Bible say around justice what does the Bible say around people who have been marginalized and oppressed she's also going to talk about this idea of quartets of marginalization and then we're going to talk through some reflection questions and what it looks like to effectively communicate with this group of people now again if you are thinking what does it actually mean who are people who have been marginalized who are people who have been oppressed so if you think of a spectrum of each group that exists in the world there are those who have been oppressed and there are those who have done the oppressing there are those who hold privilege in it and there are those who do not hold privilege or perhaps hold less privilege so there's the example of gender now there are many genders now that people identify as whether you agree with that or not it's still a reality of what people are experiencing and identifying it with right right but when we think about just the main two or most common genders man and woman man is the more privileged person in the in the in the spectrum of gender um, and is the more person that probably has experienced less oppression, right? And so the woman, women historically have been more marginalized, have been more oppressed and hold less privilege than men. Now race comes into a factor with different things when it comes to gender, but yet still a man, holds more privilege in the world that does not mean a man is better than a woman that doesn't mean a man can do more and all this stuff it's just how the world has been structured that men hold more privilege men have often been the the oppressor um, and men have often are likely not going to be in the marginalized group that doesn't speak to anyone specifically it's just kind of what it is same thing applies to let's say race whiteness or white people or european Historically, European ancestored people are often in the group who are not marginalized, who are perhaps the oppressor or the more privileged group. And then the other marginalized group of people, the people who are perhaps oppressed or have less privilege are basically everyone else, everyone else. And then there's different levels of that based on where you live, what country you live, all these different kinds of things, right? Um, From Asian to Latino to uh, Black, what those different uh, races and ethnicities come with and what baggage and stereotypes it comes with and it varies in that form, right? And then we can go, it's endless. There goes from ableism to those who are um, bodily able to do certain things, um. If there's privilege and there's marginalization and oppression around sexual orientation. There's just, it really varies based on pretty much all the identifi- identities that we can, that we submit to in our life and have. And so this session is to invite us to learn how then we can, can we communicate with those who have been both historically marginalized and oppressed, but also are currently marginalized and oppressed, right? And it's not to say, so for example, I am a Black woman, I am a daughter of immigrants, I'm a Latina woman. It's not to say that I am oppressed, like I'm experiencing oppression right now, but I'm a part of a group that experiences oppression is and is not given certain opportunities and privileges in this world. So we're not specifically saying groups of people are oppressed, but they are experiencing oppression because there is an oppressor or oppressive systems that are then um, oppressing those people, right? So that's kind of like, just so you can understand, because oppressed can feel like a heavy word to say that a group of people are oppressed, but it's more so like they experience it and they have certain things that are uh, challenges and walls that don't allow them to perhaps flourish or grow because of oppressive systems and structures and thoughts. So this is going to be perhaps um, a heavy topic to cover, to think about, to consider, depending on where you find yourself in the spectrum of these different privileges and marginalization and oppression timelines and structures. Um, so I would just say coming into it with an open heart. So we're going to get started with Sandra in just a second. Awesome. All right, y'all. So we now have Sandra Maria Van Obstal. I said that super Spanish because that's what we are. We Latinas, so and We're going to say our names right. Um, she is a second generation Latina pastor activist author and a powerful and a powerful leading voice on the intersection of faith and justice she is the executive director of chasing justice and author of the next worship as well as a contributor of the new york times best-selling book a rhythm of prayer welcome welcome sandra Thank you. It's great to be here with you guys. I've been waiting, waiting, waiting for this moment. <laughs> yes, we, uh, We've we connected in different ways. And so I'm just really grateful for this time. I think this is such a topic that people struggle to even know what to do next around. So I think, yeah, we're just going to be able to talk about really important things. So um, yeah, you can get started. Amazing. Well, I really appreciate
1: the series that you're putting together and um, also just all the different, um, I would say, not speaker authors, but really just women who are living life and trying to figure out this thing that we call, you know, having compassionate conversations and, and communicating in a compassionate way, um, to understand that we, we do have differences and that we have to come together across those differences in order to really, um, to really understand God's word and understand one another and understand what it looks like to live live out our faith. So, um, the topic that you, uh, that you invited me to talk on, you know, having compassionate conversations, particularly around, around those who are marginalized and with those who are marginalized, um, is something that I have been growing in, um, both personally and professionally for a very long time. So I offer these like kind of tips and ideas on what has helped me as a Latina who has, has been an experience, um, uh, marginalization, as well as someone who has worked with those who are much more socioeconomically and racially marginalized than myself. And so um, the first question we have to ask ourselves, um, which you posed too, is like, why do we even talk about this um, topic? Why is this important to us, particularly as a part of our Christian identity? And I thought that was so profound, because for me particularly, I do think it's absolutely and primarily rooted in my understanding of my identity as a Christian. Like, um, I'm right now, I'm, I'm a parent of, of two kids, two little kids. And so So right now like what i'm trying to teach them is not so much like how to understand everything in the world but just being kind i mean just basically being kind um and so i ask them often like was that kind you know was that kind Mm -hmm. um because i believe that at the root of our christian identity is kindness and love Mm -hmm. and so this question you know what is uh being compassionate around those who are marginalized, or when talking about those who are marginalized, I think it's rooted in our Christian identity and in the very uh, marker of who we are as Christians. And so I I we will share a couple of verses mm-hmm. and then maybe pause and stop and see what, what you guys think. But um, the first one that came to mind when I was uh, answering this question or thinking about this question comes from Deuteronomy. Um, it comes from Deuteronomy 10, uh, 17 through 19 and it is for me one of the most powerful things that scripture says about who God is and there's a lot more in Deuteronomy 10 but I just you know there's only so much that fits on a slide so I'm going to pick this part for you um this says for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords the great God mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Hmm. And so, yeah, it's a um, very powerful verse that reminds us who we are, mm-hmm. that that we, um, we belong to a, a generational collective promise. Hmm. From a creator who has said to us, even though you have been wandering and even though you're not where you ought to be um, in this now but not yet world that we live in, um, God is with you and for you. Uh, and you are there for to defend those who are wandering and those who are without a home. And so oftentimes, when I, as a pastor, talk about loving the stranger in particular to our congregation, I tell them, you know we are strangers we mm-hmm. as the latina diaspora you know from the caribbean from central america from south america our african-american brothers and sisters all of us are strangers to this land mm-hmm. and we know what it's like to be in a place where people don't accept us mm-hmm. because of our accent the color of our skin the values that we have et cetera, et cetera. and so we of all people should be the ones who embrace those who are foreigners those who are wanderers those who are sojourners in this land Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of idea that i think god is giving to us here um because you are god's people because you know who god is therefore you show no partiality because Mm -hmm. that's who god is Uh, and therefore you look after those who are um, marginalized and therefore we also understand that god gives to those who are in need so i think it comes at the root at the very beginning of Scripture, as a part of Israel's identity, and therefore it becomes a part of our identity as Christians, that if we serve a God and love a God and follow a God and worship a God
0: who's like this, that we too are like this. Yeah, that makes me think of that's um that's so powerful um, because uh, i I haven't I went into Deuteronomy in the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> Um, I don't know why, but I just went through in two thousand twenty, and so it was just like it was a lot. Deuteronomy is is heavy. Um, but so coming back to this is so um, it, yeah, it just like fills me up. But thinking about like even just the word partiality, right? Like how um, you know, it can show up in ways that perhaps people don't even realize they're doing it. So I think of like in churches um, and in spaces that perhaps the culture is or tone is being set um, to be predominantly perhaps feeling very American or white. So for example, music and how things are communicated and just structure like that's choosing partiality, right? Like, from even showing examples, um, examples of that to then seeing how that looks in our everyday life of like, oh, um, you know, I walk out of my job at International Rescue Committee as a social worker just serving a whole bunch of refugees, but then I see a person experiencing homelessness in the street and do nothing, right? So there's a partiality that we have to just kind of like wrestle with pretty much all the time um, and address, right? Not just like wrestle with it, but also address because wrestling is like a part of the process, but then it's a matter of like, really responding and being the people that are loving and kind in a way that is action centered. So I love, yeah, I really, um, is good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I think it, it, for me, as someone who understands that the scripture, you know, as we think about things like justice or love or the marginalized or whatever topic we're talking about in these conversations, the reality is we we're not served when we, when we, when we do like text proofing we like pull out little scriptures here and there, this comes for me from the story of scripture, the narrative, the whole thing Mm -hmm. speaking to one another. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so for me, Deuteronomy is the beginning of the story. It's the, the people understanding who they are very much like Ephesians is for the new Testament, a marker of like this, Paul saying to God's people, this is who you are, you collectively. That's why the, the you, which we'll talk about later, the you in Ephesians is almost Almost always, except for two exceptions, I think plural in the book of Ephesians. Mm-hmm. You all are God's people. Therefore, you all should live like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Deuteronomy helps to establish some of that identity, um, which is why the other verses that I'm going to share with you are actually from the New Testament, because I think it's important to hear the words of Jesus. So thinking about the covenant of the Old Testament, then going to the life of Jesus, Um, Jesus says, you know, love the Lord, this is in his interaction with the, with the, um, the lawyer who's like, well, who's my neighbor, you know, who am I supposed to love, you know, I I think I did, I'm doing everything right, and the Lord, and Jesus says um, uh, to them, what's the greatest command, you know, Um, and they have this interaction, and the words of Jesus come, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your strengths, love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself says the lawyer back to jesus you know um and i think that this this is a marker of what our ethic should be Mm
0: -hmm.
1: our ethic should be an ethic of love Mm -hmm. um and so we we not only um we not only hear god's kind of identity marker to us, but also this ethic that we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, strength, and with mind. And that also, obviously that's coming from the Old Testament. It's a reiteration of something that's been said and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are together in one command. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um Jesus modeled that. I don't think I have to say much more about that. Everything that Jesus did in his life uh, modeled A loving of a neighbor, particularly those who are unseen, unwelcomed, marginalized, underrepresented, um, attacked, you know. Uh, And so that ethic of loving the neighbor and particularly those who are on the margins um, is is the life, the life of Jesus. And then the last one comes from James, because I think it's important to look at how the New Testament uh, authors and disciples reflect on the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and James one twenty seven says, uh, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Mm-hmm. And this comes in a section of James 1 and 2, where again, we're looking at what does a lifestyle of love look like? Mm-hmm. And this, this summary really at the end of James 1, um, introduces James 2, which is the same kind of idea that we have a God that shows no partiality, mm-hmm. that we have a God that embraces um, people of every background, ethnicity, culture, class, um, and that we, when are we are in there in one another's presence, ought not to show partiality to those who are wealthy, to those who are well dressed, as the story says in James, um and to give them a special place in the table when that's not at all what Jesus embodied uh during jesus's lifestyle and so i think from these three from these three different one from the old testament one from the life of jesus one from the new testament disciples reflecting on the life of jesus we learn that god's character is love Mm -hmm. god's command is love and Mm -hmm. that our ethic or our worship if you want to call that or our lifestyle is therefore love Um, if god is love if we're commanded to love and if we're shown this ethic of love then therefore particularly to those who are disenfranchised, then therefore, that's why we ought to care about this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, And choosing to respond, um, I like, um, so thinking, can you go back to the Luke um, scripture? Um, just when you were uh, communicating with that, I just, I mean, I feel like literally every Christian has read this, if not hundreds, thousands of times, right, this scripture. But right now, when I read it, when you read it out loud, I heard like, it was like God saying, like, this is how you then communicate, right? Like, this is how then you get to talk with other people and then also talk about other people. One of the things that breaks my heart the most um, when it comes to injustice and those who have been marginalized, oppressed, is how people talk about them when they experience what they've experienced, right? So when a Black man is shot and killed by the police people are like, but he was doing this, but he was that, but, 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 right? And it's like, we're not talking about this person as in a way that we love them and in a way that they are loved, right? When someone is abused by the church, um, we, you know, try to figure out like, okay, but what did you do? And like, why did you stay and all this stuff? And it's just like, that is not love. And so, so much of how we communicate love is how we talk, how we listen, and what we think about the person. Right? Would you want someone to think something or assume th- something about you um, if you know you were the person on that other end of that gun or something like that? So it's really just considering like loving your neighbor as yourself also means like you communicate it in a way that it's without buts it's like when you say oh I love you but like that doesn't work right so it's like really saying I love you and this is perhaps like what I think and how I want to serve you um and I think we miss that a lot I I really I really get heartbroken when i hear you know people trying to justify what they think about another image bearer um that they think perhaps has done like something wrong or has gone through something wrong so really it's really exemplifying love um because god is love and because the command is love right yeah what's interesting also
1: about luke ten, which we don't have a ton of time to get into but um But what is interesting about Luke 10 is the the we know that the lawyer, that the guy, he knew all the right answers. Like he had this answer. He knew the answer, but he didn't. He didn't know how to live it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why Jesus engages him with the story. And I think actually that is a part of our um, kind of courageous and compassionate and helpful and critical conversations that we're having is. Jesus' way of responding to people's know-it-allness, you know, like, "Oh, Lord, 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 your, God, Lord your God, He knows the good thing." And I don't know if He's like, you know, some people think this guy's like, "Oh, he thought he knew it all and he was boasting." Maybe he really was like, "I, I've been like, I grew up in this thing, mm. and I know these things." But like, what does that mean? Mm. So maybe he's, maybe he's justifying himself. Maybe he's actually wrestling, and yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know his intentions. Yeah. Um, and and I know for myself, sometimes when I wrestle with scripture. Maybe people think like, oh, okay, so Sanders trying to reinterpret things. But the reality is, I'm trying to ask the question, what does this actually look like? Mm-hmm. When he says this, Jesus gives him a story that helps him better understand. Mm-hmm. And I think I believe that part of our engagement with people um, who are considering those on the margin. So specifically, like not with the margins, but considering those on the margins. I think, for example, police brutality and things like that, you know, like we're, we're is to give them. Is to engage them with the reality of the hu- human element of what happens. Yeah. Love the Lord, your God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. I know that Jesus says there, there was a guy walking down the street and you know what happened to him? Mm-hmm. He was attacked and he starts telling him the story and guess who stopped? Mm-hmm. And then he asked someone who was the neighbor to him. Yeah. So I think the way that I've seen people really um, change thought patterns and the way that I've seen people change narratives is actually through storytelling mm. um for example one time I my 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 husband was at work and they made somebody in the like lunchroom made some comment about I don't remember what it was about like not I, I'm sure the word laziness wasn't used but like mm. some comment about if people just worked harder they would not be poor you know Particularly, I think in in relationship to uh, to, to um, the black community, and it was a person of another ethnicity, another non white ethnicity, non European ethnicity, and um, and then my my husband just said, "Oh, that's interesting because we have a friend, and this is you know something she was sharing with us this week." And he begins to share, and so I think you know working three jobs, and so so and he says, "I think I don't understand how your comment fits with what I just." said Mm. to you, you know, like how does that fit with what I'm sharing? And the person was like, okay, well, maybe not everyone. And they were able to like Mm. engage and I think point to or expose the false narrative that was there based off of stereotypes. Yeah. Through through the telling of an of a story. So I think Luke 10 is a great example of
0: of that. That's really good. And I mean that's literally Jesus all the time. Here's a story. Here's an example. Like he's he's do that he does that all the time. Yeah
1: yeah and so i think you know what we learn obviously as we look at the whole scripture is we do this because we care about it we do this because we're we're, we follow god and this is god's character and we're invited to this kind of love and our lifestyle therefore you know shows that you know i wanted to take a minute um to talk about um you know, you asked the question and I don't know if you want to set this up, but you would ask the question who has been and who is currently marginalized, um, or experiencing oppression. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, or if you want me to address that first, but, um, mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting question.
0: Yeah. So in the introduction here, I shared a little bit about examples of that. So I talked about the spectrum of privilege and, um, oppression, right. And, um, kind of like w- there there is oppression because there is an oppressor right there is um lack of privilege because there are those who hold privilege um and so that actually applies to probably any label that we would consider ourselves so for example the label of like my gender race um class right um socioeconomic status um even like U.S. citizen status, right? Like uh, immigration Mm -hmm. status, daughter of immigrants, but me holding U.S. citizenship. So it really, there is, I would say it applies to almost any label we hold that there are people experiencing oppression, um, or being marginalized because they belong to some certain um, titles or labels because then there is a, a more majority and it's not actually always majority it's just like the other group right because um, people use a lot of like I mean hopefully we can start using this terminology less right right like major, uh like the minorities and major but it's just like minorities like most of America is the quote unquote minority. So are, is it still minorities? It's, it's community of, communities of color, right? BIPOC, people of color. And so, yeah, I talked a little bit about what that means and looks like, because I think sometimes people are just like, well, I'm not privileged. And I'm like, in comparison to someone else you are (laughs) so yes you do hold privileges perhaps if you're white or if you're a man even for example christians hold more privilege in america than other um faith um, faith systems right uh and so that i talked a little bit about that but yeah i would love if you want to share what that looks like what you feel kind of like like that looks like for you um and yeah what are examples um of groups i talked a little bit about like race and gender um i didn't Talk too much about socioeconomic status, um, but I did, did give a little introduction in the beginning on that.
1: Yeah, there's so much that could be said on that, so I um, I may show a couple of slides later um, to to address it. I, I have an entire other two hour, you know, seminar on, on, on that because I think it, it's something that should be explored. I think the more we explore it in practicality and in tangi- tangible ways, we can apply it to our lifestyle, you know? So I think when I think about those who are um, historically um, marginalized and those who are currently marginalized, I, again, rooted in scripture, I go to what the Bible, uh, what the Bible uses as like the quartet of marginalization, that's what it's called by some scholars. The quartet of marginalization being this repeated thing about the orphan, the widow, the sojourner, the foreigner, and the poor. And over and over in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, in the the words of Jesus, in the examples um, that are given in in Scripture, the orphan, the widow, the sojourner, the poor. And I think that quartet is used not to say that's all encompassing, because there are also those who had the the lame, the crippled, you know, that come up in Luke fourteen, um, in the story of the banquet, you know, for example. But these four, this quartet, is utilized in i think primarily within the hebrew context within the old testament context to show um enough variety of marginalization as it pertains specifically to systems and structures so let me say that again the marginalization is not just like oh someone doesn't like me that's not persecution okay that's not marginalization that's just like life sometimes people don't like us mm-hmm. um and uh, some of us are more comfortable with that than others you know depending on our personality but um what this is addressing is actually the way that society sets things up so that certain groups of people are preferenced by policies and laws and systems and ways of doing things. so our education system, our voting rights, um, you know, our our access to health care, anything that's a social system. And we know from the Old Testament that, if you were an orphan, you know you had obviously you're you're helpless. You know you have nobody to take care of you. If you're a widow, because women did not were not allowed to own property, you had to like marry your husband's your ex-husband's like family members in order to retain your own property. There's all these things that you didn't have access to. So when I think about the quartet of marginalization in the Old Testament and the fact that it's related to systems, so I want you guys to hold on to that. Like it's policies and systems that disenfranchise our neighbor. Okay, when I think of our current modern situation, I come up with these um, as a starting base. Again, it's not all of them, like like the four that were in the Old Testament, not all of them, but it's enough to tell us um, based off of our ethnicity. And I would put in that kind of nationality, uh, documentation, status, that kind of piece. The xenophobia that comes in our country with ethnicity difference, ethnic and cultural difference, race, class, and gender. There are systems there are policies there are ways of structuring life that preference men over women that preference white over black and everybody else you know that preference english speaker and documented citizen over you know um that preference even for those of us that are people of color i'm probably overeducated you know like um I'm in the 1% of the world's category because I have a college education. So anybody with the college education, hey, we're in the 1%, no matter how marginalized we feel. Um, And so those layers of marginality and those intersections of marginality, um, I think are felt, particularly as it relates to what you have access to in the world. So when you look at, for example, the the lack of good health care that Black women get and the infant mortality rates and the mother death rates for Black women. Okay. Or when you look at the lack of adequate healthcare that non-English speakers get, because it takes so long to get a translator that my my brother is an ER doctor. And so he speaks bilingual. And he would tell me all the time that like people that people, doctors that are bilingual just give better healthcare. And the reason is because they don't, they can interact one-on-one with the interpret with the uh, patient. And so patients that come in that are Arabic speaking or that are um Korean speaking, like if he can't help them, he's hoping that there's a doctor around somewhere that he could directly speak to. My other uh, brother does interpretation. And so he is in the court system and in the health in, at the hospitals doing this. And so we know that based off of language, ethnicity, kind of what you know about the country that you're in, you get better. And that's just on one thing, healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for example, grew up in a, I, I didn't speak English when I was a child. So um I this is a little date me, it was so long ago that they had no ESL, y'all, okay, they, they had no English as a second language, and it certainly wasn't ELL, which it was, is what it is now, yeah. um, English language learners, or learn lear, language learners, it was just behavioral disabilities, and um, learning disabilities, and so I was put in a classroom with children who um, had, like, dyslexia, or who had, and that, that's not what I had, and so mm. I, I didn't understand um, how that was going to help me. Mm -hmm. And I was slowed down in my education because the school systems did not know what to do with me. Mm -hmm. There was no, now they have whole programs for that, which also are very inequitable, which we can get to if you want to some other time, but understanding that these are ways of being marginalized that aren't like someone is trying to, my neighbor's not trying to be mean to me.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: My school system didn't have the help that I needed. Yeah. and nobody advocated for a different way so therefore I was marginalized mm-hmm. by the mere fact of my ethnic and you know kind of uh national experience yeah. so I'll just stop there and see if you have any thoughts and we can look at scripture if you want yeah. to
0: I mean well so we have a related I mean I don't know how you are but I also kind of related um history so English is my second language and um when we came from dr I was born here but we went back and when we came from Dominican Republic um it was I was in fourth grade and Um. Yeah, there was no my teacher didn't speak um Spanish. There was, and thankfully, what helped me was that a lot of my classmates spoke Spanish, so they were kind of like my little translators. Um, for a little while until like I kind of like learned English again, right? But it really um, and this was like in a predominantly Latino community. You know, the principal was Latino. Like you would think and expect, but just because of the systems and structures, and my and I would like to think that my principal was fighting for us, but yet. Um, and that's kind of sometimes what can be discouraging that we we can be fighting and we can be, you know, protesting and doing the work and trying to change policies and structures. But there are things that have been set up, for if not decades centuries centuries to marginalize certain groups i know for me too in new york i've experienced a lot of like housing challenges even being a professional woman who has you know a a good absolutely stuff it does it doesn't matter actually um and uh it's just it 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 goes so much across the board to things that we don't think of and what i want to bring up around this is too is that I know what for me, I've experienced a lot of people say, well, the, well, that's a theory because of your experience. And when we, you tell someone that their life is a theory and that their experience is a theory, you are telling them one, that they're a liar <laughs> and you're telling them that it's so specific to their story and you are actually marginalizing them. You're marginalizing their narrative as if it's not a thing that exists across the board, right? So I think you're in um, Chicago, right? or like in there. Yes. yeah And so like we're in different cities, right? We're in different major cities but have experienced similar things and are experiencing similar things. And that tells us that is the evidence we need, especially as a body of Christ to, to not look at it as a theory, but look at it like, no, these are very real things that have been established Um, whether it's through preference or intentional racism, right? Cause there are laws who were intentionally placed um, that are racist, that are sexist and all this. And so to think about that and consider like, what are then people, what do people feel and experience living, whether it's America or anywhere else, being a part of these groups, having to experience these challenges on top of life, on top of trauma, on top of everything else, right? Like it's, it's something to just consider more, um, that it's like, you know, like I know I'm, I job, we, when someone like is killed by a black person is killed, like, you know, by police, like it's okay. It's like, um anyone if anybody wants to talk we'll have this like one hour on zoom and it's just like it's so much more than that right like how can I function at my job today um and like realizing this and addressing this so there's just so much so much to this and like you said this is four out of you know the many things you know i would add like sexual orientation to this list mm-hmm. um you mm-hmm. know um i would add religion and faith to this list so there's just so many levels and components that people experience marginalization for um and there's just so many ways that we can respond with kindness with love with <laughs> compassion um and it's not to just be nice for nice sake no one needs that it's actually to walk like jesus jesus wasn't trying to be nice he was trying to exemplify love and compassion that's that's different than just trying to be nice
1: yeah and I think I absolutely and I think to what you're saying just for clarity for our conversation here the ones I picked out were for our U.S. context Mm -hmm. um, maybe for Latin America as well I think I just came back from five weeks in Colombia I can tell you those those are pretty high up there um, if we were to be in Egypt or Lebanon or Jordan, I think yeah. um gender and religion would be up there higher because only mm-hmm. 10% of Egypt's population is Christian. And so they experience something of marginalization by having to put their religion on their card, mm-hmm. on their like mm-hmm. identification card. And so every context has different mm-hmm. marginalized. I think the question we should be asking ourselves is in our context, who is the most marginalized? Mm -hmm. And uh, and in that, what do I have affinity to connection to Mm -hmm. influence over that? I can make a difference, whether it's the education system or housing markets or and I think to look for those. What you're talking about is when the stories start to add up and you're asking, like, why are all these churches and uh, libraries and after school programs having to tutor children? Isn't that the role of the education system? Mm -hmm. Okay, so either these children are really, really dumb or. Something is wrong with the education system, right? Uh When I go to prison to teach classes for seminary and I'm teaching men, I look around, it's like overwhelmingly Black, Uh African-American with a sprinkling, the the rest of them are primarily Latino Uh and again, even Black Latino. So we're looking at a specific race. Uh Um, Is it that our Black and Latino men are more violent than anyone else in society? or right. uh, more prone to crime or is there something wrong with our legal system both the yeah. policing system as well as the criminal justice system as well as our what we call justice system which should be more restorative and less punitive you know like yeah. um so i begin to ask questions because i then therefore have affinity i'm hearing these guys like yeah, i came in here and i was 17 years old my grandma told me not to go out play with my friends but i went and we were hanging out we got in this car and this what happened? And, and you know like all of a sudden all of us are in jail and we didn't even do it, you know. Um, or I was around when it happened. And I'm like, they're 42 now. You know, I'm asking myself, like, how is that justice? How is that loving? How is that compassionate? How is that restorative? But because I'm in those spaces, I think we need to ask ourselves, where are the spaces that we I can't be about all the things, you know, I just can't speak to all the things. Right. Um, but I can ask the question, how is my understanding of God as a God of love and the command to love? And how how does that shape my ethic or practice of love where God has placed me? That is what I'm asking. Right. Um, and I think that's where we start. Uh, we start with the question, you know, yes, people have their individual stories, but the reality is when individual story upon individual story builds a narrative that shows you a pattern, mm-hmm. that is now a system. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you get there. I think what you were basically saying, what I saw is you said, I observed. And then I did critical thinking, right? Like that is it's observe the situation and circumstance. Don't go to conspiracy theory websites, observe the situation and circumstance, and then do some critical thinking with prayer in that, right? Like that's yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah, and I would say there's there's so many, um, there's so many helps that I think we have as Christians. There are a lot of Christian sociologists and anthropologists and historians and folks that have written some amazing books. So I'm sure those will be listed on your on your um, training and on your website, but I think part of that work is just like opening our eyes to what is actually happening, mm-hmm. um, not only in our own experience, even as peoples of color, but uh, for for people everywhere. And then, are there things happening around us again that we have affinity to, that we have proximity to, that we can really make a difference? And so, for me right now, as a mother of small children, I mean, I've done immigration reform stuff, I've done housing. We've been very involved locally in housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a pastor, I work. A lot with Black and Brown, you know, communities. So there's so many justice issues that I've been. But right now, as a parent, I'm very. I have my eye on what's happening in our school systems across the country, mm-hmm. and like that, that 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 we have a, a a concerted, strategic, intentional effort to erase the stories of mm-hmm. certain people groups from our curriculum, so that we don't make white children feel uncomfortable. Yeah that is extremely problematic yeah. and that we think that teaching emotional emotional uh concern and emotional intelligence and racial awareness as is a detriment to the future of our country mm. with 48% of all of our children under the age of 18 48% are people of color
0: mm. yeah
1: that is cute i mean i'm like what are we creating here like what are we gonna do so that's what i have my eye on what do you guys have your eye on you know what do you, i would ask you those of you that are listening, what do you have your eye on because for me as a mom raising a, a black child and raising a latino white child i'm like um yeah i got my eye on what the school systems are teaching me yeah um and what they're telling my children about who they are so mm-hmm. um i know, i know that we don't have a ton of time but um i think that that's a question i want to leave people with is like what is what is around you as you think about those who are marginalized, and as you think about um, interacting with them and 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 interacting, or I should say, advocating alongside of them? Mm-hmm. What what is on your mind, yeah. um, and what has God invited you to do? Because we we just can't do all the things. And I think if we if we develop deep roots in one of them, we will learn to see its interaction with all the things.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really important. I think sometimes people can feel stuck because there's like there's so many injustices. The world is burning. All this stuff, right? It's like, yes, but you're not called to all of it, right? Like, just like you're not called to, like, it's just you're not called to all people and all things and you can't be all things for all people. So really, like, praying through and considering and then also let it be local to you like sometimes we can I know there is a passion and there's a fire sometimes for things that are happening in other places absolutely you know like if you could do something about that but if you're doing something about that and nothing about your block or your your local like there there's a there's there's a disconnect there right so really considering both
1: yes for sure because they're connected Mm-hmm. They're connected, so I, I think you know the 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 question then therefore becomes to us like how do we actually practice these interactions, these connections, these conversations, these relationships with both people who are marginalized and as we speak with and on behalf of and alongside of those who are marginalized, um, and for those of us who actually are um, experiencing levels what what, what um. Uh, Subversive Witness, the book by Dominique Gilear, calls levels of privilege or stackable privilege. Um, And so the three that I have been really trying to understand um, for about a decade now are these three areas of hospitality, solidarity, and mutuality. And so a lot of my work has been in the area of worship and preaching and kind of congregational discipleship. And so these three come from the book, The Next Worship, um, which I just re-released and released a Bible study um, this month in August. Um, but this, these three ideas kind of at the intersection of these three is where I find my best explanation of how I'm trying to do it. Um, biblical hospitality, obviously, we have many, many pictures of it. It's not about cookies and coffee and after school lunches. I mean, um, after church lunches, it's not about that at all. It's not about having a small group to a very nice meal at your house, though that's very nice. Um, Hospitality has to do with how we center those on the margins and how we care for those who are the most vulnerable. That's biblical hospitality as we see it uh, when people came to visit, when people were hiding the spies that were hidden, all those kinds of acts within scripture that show us biblical hospitality when you reach out and make time for um, those who are very unwelcomed in society. And so what hospitality communicates to people is, I welcome you. I welcome you. I I may not agree. I may not understand all the time. I may not, we we may not share the same smells or desires or preferences or tastes, but, um, I welcome you.
0: Hey y'all. I hope that you gained a lot of insight and education and encouragement from these past 45 minutes on this episode. The actual continuation of it is over on our Compassionate Conversations portal website and so we have the entire session you can actually watch the video with myself and sandra chatting about this where we go more in depth on hospitality mutuality and all different forms of how do we actually live this out as christians um, how do we actually have compassionate conversations with and about the marginalized and so you can check that out over at the show notes or go to the full again that's the full and you can check out not just this session and this course but we actually have six additional ones. We have compassionate conversations with those who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, having compassionate conversations with those of different religions and different theological perspectives and backgrounds, having compassionate conversations with those who have been wounded by the ter- church, having compassionate conversations around discipleship and evangelism, and a few others that you can go check out. You can buy them separately or all in a bundle, but it's something that every Christian should be able to consider as we continue to grow in really loving our neighbor and knowing more so on how to serve them, especially if we have not had the same experiences as them or even have the same beliefs or perspectives as them. So You can check it out again at thefullgarden.com for the rest of this course session and for the six additional ones we have part of the Compassionate Conversations course series. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, make sure you check it out. We have a whole bunch of different kinds of episodes with conversations, teachings, and even Senla meditations. Thanks for being here.